This podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being. Being well. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. A book that is also a companion and a wise teacher that takes us on a spiritual journey of finding joy and gratitude in simple things, peace and comfort even in the midst of chaos, and a deeper love of others through kindness, compassion, and service. Everyday Spirit is packed with simple wisdom, making it a roadmap to a more meaningful and fulfilling life, and a reminder to slow down and notice the blessings. It's the perfect gift for yourself and anyone in need of inspiration, hope, comfort, and wisdom. Valeria Tellez interviews Mary Davis, the author of Everyday Spirit, a day book of wisdom, joy, and peace. Mary Davis is a wisdom seeker, spiritual teacher, visionary, graphic artist, and mystic entrepreneur. Her wallpaper app, Everyday Spirit Lock Screens, brings love, beauty, and inspiration to phones around the world. Mary received her BSN from Georgetown University's School of Nursing, after which she spent many fun years as a musician, songwriter, producer, piano teacher, and yoga instructor. She completed her Compassionate Bereavement Counseling Certification in 2017 and volunteers with parents who have lost children and in hospice care. She has a house by the sea and lives a contemplative life in harmony with nature. Meet Mary at everydayspirit.net. Here is the interview with Mary Davis. In your own words, who is Mary Davis? I am a spirit having a human experience like everybody else. Um, I've always been a passionate student of spirituality, you know, wanting to know more and see more and experience more. And the veil between this world and the world of pure love and spirit has always been very thin for me. Um, So I think that's where my curiosity about spirit comes from is that I feel like I have a piece of me in each world. Um, But I'm also, I would describe myself as a creator. I'm always making things, Mm -hmm, mostly interpreting the spirituality as I understand it in artistic ways, using music and art and stories and prayers So during my life, I was a musician and a songwriter, a yoga teacher, a piano teacher. And then I went on to my more recent 
work with everyday spirit with the app. So it's an app designer and a graphic designer. And I make cards and prints and things that reflect the spiritual beauty that I see. The spirit. This is a word that we use to describe something that words cannot describe, really. And that might be the unknown. So my question is, when did you discover the spirit? I feel like all my life, that was an integral part of me that I recognized. That's the thing. It was never anything that wasn't there that I found. And I think that's how it is for all of us. We all have it. And the best way I can explain it or how I explain it or see it myself is that I believe that the spirit part of ourselves, which I use that pretty much interchangeably with soul, is the part of us that is incredibly loving, loving beyond our wildest dreams, came from love, will return to love, that is more radiant and magnificent and beautiful and wise than than our wildest dreams. And I think that it's always there. It just gets forgotten because our world operates mostly from mind and body. So we forget, we just forget. And the mind-body constellation that we walk in most of the time has its focus on me, taking care of me. And there's nothing wrong with that. The ego mind takes care of survival, but its focus is separation and what makes me different from you, what makes me right, what makes me want to muscle through the day by myself, what makes me see myself as different and separate from you. Whereas the spirit says, I am love, you are love, we're connected to divine love, and I see myself in you. So when we lead from spirit, when we awaken it and recognize it and bring it into our daily life because we've, we're practicing remembering it, then we've got this different sort of loving compass. We've got this driver in the driver's seat instead of being on automatic pilot. We have choices to choose to come from a place of oneness instead of separation. How is this changing at this time? Is there a shift happening? Are some of us awakening for this truth? Yes. Yes. I feel very hopeful right now. And that what is going on now, what seems like our greatest moments of division and separation, I think is giving rise to an even more insistent voice of love. I'm seeing that everywhere I turn. And it doesn't have to manifest in big ways. It can manifest in every single small action of kindness and love and gratitude and forgiveness and a smile. All of the small things add up to a critical mass that tips us in the direction of love. And I feel that that's what we are rising to right now. Your book is titled Everyday Spirit, a day book of wisdom, joy, and peace. So, but before that, um, I have been asking already those warm-up questions. The next one is the word grace. 
this word, the word joy and grace, they have so much power to them. There's something that touches us just by seeing the word or speaking these two words. What is a good way to describe grace? I love the word and I love the concept of it. You know, most traditionally, grace is considered a gift from God and an extra sense of being in the flow of the divine, where once you open to it and there is a sense of surrendering to it, stepping into the river of it, once we do that, we open to the gift. So there's a sense of allowing the teamwork, allowing the co-creation to happen. And I love to say that where our focus goes, our energy flows. So if we don't look at matters of spirit, we don't benefit as much from their obvious gifts. And when we do, if we pause in the day and say, please help me flow with ease and grace. Now, we're all part of the grace and the God and everything too, but there is an extension of us that is way bigger and more powerful than we are. And when we ask and open and say, I surrender, I give up my will to muscle through this alone, the doors swing wide and the grace is palpable. You can feel it and suddenly you are in a flow that of synchronicity that may not happen had you not stopped and surrendered your will to control it all. So grace is a beautiful gift and something that we can ask for and that is ours for the receiving. We don't have to do anything particularly good or wonderful or deserving to get it. The word divine, God, creator, source, there are so many words, the spirit, the soul. You just mentioned that it's everywhere, but at the same time is a part of us that is beyond this body and the, let's say, ordinary way of thinking. I guess I'm wondering if this idea tends to separate us from that which permeates everything, which is everything, and at the same time isn't in a way. I think that for some reason or another, we have been born with a sort of amnesia, like a, a forgetting of our oneness with divine source and with each other. And I feel like that's part of the joy, which is the word that's in your mm -hmm. podcast that you just yeah. mentioned. Yeah. It's part of the excitement of the adventure that once you start discovering that there's this whole other world beyond your wildest dreams that you can access in your daily life, then you start to chip away at the separation and you start to recognize more and more moments of co-creation. I see that some of the people that I talk to around me, that they are still in the state of forgetting or forgetfulness. I see that it's easier for them to understand that the divine God, the source, the spirit, it's here now. It's, um, it's doing what he or she is doing. So it's going back to what you know to be true. 
and by embracing who we are exactly as we are, the acceptance, this they call, some people call radical acceptance, that's when the door opens for this spirit to kind of shine because it's already there. Yes, there's a lot there in what you just said. There's a whole lot there. So from the first part of this question, remembering. Okay, so the idea, the overall idea in awakening our spirit is remembering. So we're here. You're here. I'm here. Anyone who's listening to this already has been seeking something more in the spiritual world, Right. right? And that's only the first part of it. And so the remembering is the work. Remembering that love is the reason, that love is why we're here. And that is why we practice. And that's why we choose. And that's why I'm a big proponent of having a daily spiritual practice for everyone. I think it's the most important thing you will ever do. I forget. I still forget all the time, but every day I wake up and there is a non-negotiable spirit time. Now, this is my world in my life, so mine might be two hours, but if you have five minutes or 15 that turns to a half hour where every single day you sit and spend time in contemplation with spirit... That's what the book is. It's 365 suggestions of spiritual practices and ways to contemplate awakening your spirit. And so every day when I sit down, I do about seven things, but I do them all and I do them without fail. And I do them because in the middle of the day, when I do forget, now I have paved some pathways in me that say, oh, wait, stop ask, pray, say an affirmation, take a breath, co-create instead of muscling through. This is how we remember. We practice love. We're always practicing, okay? So we can practice gratitude or we're practicing complaining, right? We can practice peace or we can practice stress and anxiety, We can practice walking in nature or we can practice surfing our phones. We can practice um, blessing people or we can practice judging people. We're always practicing. And so when you sit every day and practice who you want to be as a higher being, you really do learn to become that. And it's a joyful ride. What is joy to you? That's my first question. And then do you connect joy to happiness? I love the joy, the image of joy, the idea of joy. And that goes back to the actually part of what you asked before that I didn't address, which is embracing yourself. Mm, Right. So I think they're combined. I think joy is an individual thing. What brings me joy is me doing what lights me up and you doing what lights you up. That is the highest expression, I think, of our individual soul. I think joy, happiness, playfulness, and peace are really attributes of spirit. 
really high ones. And when we make space and even take the time to think, what would bring me joy right now? I have some funny stories in the book about, you know, coffee cake and Mm -hmm. going to Home Depot. I mean, I really, small joys, calling a friend, having a special meal, uh, playing a game with family, whatever makes you laugh. This awakens us, relaxes us, brings us to the peace of knowing who we are and accepting ourselves with all the quirks and all the mess and all the stuff we don't get right every single day, saying, I am absolutely loved and enough and perfect and embrace myself, as you said, as I am. And there's a beautiful joy and relief in that. And joy and happiness, I do consider them sort of similar, but joy, the word joy connotates something a little deeper for me. But I do believe that happiness is something that all of us can strive for in the small moments of daily life. So there's trust. I really love that word. Not just the word, but I love the this idea of, I think you mentioned earlier, to surrender. Just trusting that it will be there. Mm. I love that trust and belief. It puts us in the flow. Right. It goes with hope and faith. It puts us yeah. in the sense that I don't have to see the answers or know them all <laughs> right. in order to trust that this is growing me, that this is serving me, that I can, I can do this, that I can do this. How do we know when we are letting go, surrender, and not giving up? I feel like... When we talk about things like strength, being strong, you know, and I I think that perseverance and those kinds of attributes that get up and do it again when you're exhausted and tired. And I believe that they, a work ethic has a place in us, but it only goes so far when we aren't opening to the greatest wisdom and sort of extra energy that we could be adding to our problem solving and our work and our solutions. So I believe there are times to give up when we have tried things over and over and we stop because we know how to leave space and ask, am I on the wrong path here. (laughs) But I I think that how we know whether we surrender is giving up is we ask. And we know usually when you stop and do the asking, whether it's of yourself inside or you look to the sky and say a prayer that could be as simple as help me, Answers begin to flow and signs and doors open and present themselves to us. And we know. So to me, surrender almost always means strength because it means calling in the biggest resources I could ever ask for. Letting little me step aside so spirit me can take over. The next two questions, they relate to being a female in the human body. 
What do you love most about being a woman? I, since I'm not in a man's body, I don't know this for sure, but I feel <laughs> that there is an intuitive, creative knowing that we have maybe sourced in our ability to create life. But I feel a deep feminine wisdom and power that goes back through the ages of knowing and of leading, of teaching, of understanding wisdom in the way of compassion and love. How is that different from knowledge or even awareness? Well, knowledge we can gather from books and know facts. We can know lots of facts and have lots of degrees. But being wise, I think, is couching your knowledge in the broader perspective of the sacred in everything and knowing that it's woven into the tapestry of all things. So being wise maybe is having a perspective of from sacred eyes. Have you faced any challenges by being a woman in this lifetime? Yes. I think all of us who are women or identify as women have felt that sense of being perceived as a second-class citizen at times. But in my mind, in my heart, I know it's completely not true. And I have been brought up not to even let those thoughts enter my mind. I think when I most felt it was when my physical being was out in public more. I was a musician for 20 years on stages five or six nights a week. And then you become a physical item and not connected at all with what is in your heart or your mind or your being or your spirit or your soul. And I'm physically very small. So there have been many times when I have felt physically threatened. But I believe that's something that is getting better with time and understanding. And I believe our voices in this last 10 years, maybe more than ever before, akin to what is going on in the world of race, is coming to the forefront. And the truth is, is coming out in a very, very powerful way that it is not okay to treat any human person with anything less than dignity and respect. But I like to think about nature, the sense that nature is so different and at the same time so beautiful. Everything's so imperfect, but so perfect. Yeah, perhaps by seeing life in ourselves as nature itself, it might change everything. Oh, I so agree with you about nature. I feel like it's one of our greatest teachers, really. Yeah, yeah. And it has the ability to calm us and de-stress us and soothe our souls. Walking in nature can bring us right back to our wisdom and our calm and our perspective and resilience. What is freedom to you? And what is to be free? We can choose sort of like we were talking about before, about what we 
are going to decide to practice love or fear, gratitude or lack. We choose. And when we've chosen a path or maybe just a decision that day, we can choose again. Mm -hmm. So we have these infinite choices in a day and in our lifetimes to evolve and grow and change and understand differently and then choose again. Wow. (laughs) What a beautiful dance. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) An amazing dance, right? (laughs) Yes. How did you become a writer, Mary? Well, I was always writing in some form or another. When I was young, and I mean young, young, uh, grade school, I started writing songs and poems and journaling. And that took me through many years. I wrote over a couple of hundred songs and loved the, the short format where every word matters. And at the time, I uh, wrote mostly about the human condition and about love and about it, it grew toward songs about our spirituality and how we interact with each other and oneness. And that was amazing practice for the later writing of the book. I had been collecting wisdom all of my life in little bits and pieces in my study of spirituality. And when my daughter Maya was in her teen years, I wanted to make a more permanent record of these things I wanted to pass on to her because I'm always looking at my life. If I die tomorrow, what would I wish I had done? And this is something I've always wanted to write. I, I've I've been a big day book reader all my life. A day book is, you know, when there's a page a day. And I've I've always had that as part of my spiritual practice. So that format was on my radar for about 10 years. But as you can see from holding the book, it was a huge undertaking. And I would start and it would feel too big for that time in my life and I would put it aside. So my first version of the book actually became the app, which boiled down to really just the quotes of the ideas of of everything I wanted to say. And so I put those quotes on phone wallpaper. So when my daughter at the time, when she would look at her phone, she'd have this wisdom quote, this uplifting thing to remind her of her spiritual self. And so that became the app. And then from the app, when my marriage of 23 years um, fell apart and I didn't see it coming and I found myself moving from the house of my marriage and I, it was my decision to move out of the house. So I felt like I could start again better if I was in a new spot. I ended up in a cabin where I was in complete silence. And I'm almost always in silence anyway. I love being alone and I am alone most of the time. But this was really alone. There was no cell service and no TV and no homes I could see, no mailbox, no cars that I could see driving by, no chance of anybody knocking at the door. Like, wow. And so I realized it wasn't planned ahead. This was the universe's plan, I suppose. Once I got in there, I understood like a light bulb, like a hammer hit me. 
that this was the place to write the book, that this was all arranged so I could write it right then. And the really crazy thing is that when I was collecting all of these spiritual nuggets of wisdom, I had suffering in my life. I definitely have had my share of suffering in this life. But at the time before my marriage had broken up, I was managing things pretty well. So when I was attempting to write the book, I was writing it from a place where I knew the spiritual principles, but I wasn't desperate for them. I didn't need them to save my life. But now here I was in the cabin and everything I thought I knew, the life I thought I had, the future I thought I was looking forward to, everything was gone. And I looked at the spiritual principles in a new way. How can this lift me now? How can this show me something now? How can this heal me now? How can this help me heal others now? How, where's the transformation in this story for me and for you? So I was learning along with you. It was an extraordinary year and a half. In your book, you say, through the eyes of gratitude, everything is a miracle. That's powerful phrase, idea. I mean, this is, uh, to me, a message to live by. So talk to me for a moment about gratitude, Mary. Your setup for this really includes a lot because in the land of loss, it's extraordinary to come across anyone who can focus on gratitude, especially in fresh grief and new grief. And and just to, to preface this conversation on gratitude, anyone who is in the throes of fresh grief, trauma, loss, suffering of any kind, there's no pressure to feel better or to apply spiritual practices to bypass the suffering because those moments of suffering are so sacred and so important and it's a time to feel it all and to take your time and go as slow as you want to living in that space until you are good and ready to climb out. But that said, an example that you remind me of, of something stunning that happened, I volunteer at um, child loss meetings. So there's, you know, a group of parents who have lost children. Not long ago, one new mom was introducing herself and she told us about her child. And it had only been a few weeks And she launched into a litany of gratitudes. She introduced him and then she said, I am so thankful for the time I had him. I am so thankful I was holding him when he died. I'm so thankful for the pictures I have. I am so thankful for the support system. It was stunning. And and really, I had never seen anything quite like it. But what I took away from it was that even in our suffering, even in our uncertainty, even in our vulnerability, we can find things to be grateful for. And we don't have to be grateful for the disease or the death or the injustice. But in the midst of it, if we look, we find that miracle. 
I guess. Yes, so true. And the practice of gratitude, I'm so glad you brought it up because when I spoke earlier about the book being a collection of practices and how important I think it is for a daily practice, if you were to pick one thing to do every day, the practice of gratitude is your powerhouse. It is has this incredible way of changing the very moment we're in from lack to abundance. And all kinds of research tells us that when we do the practice, which is not just thinking about it, it's writing down three to five things a day that we're grateful for, which is so simple and so beautiful. When we do that every day, your life will change in ways you never knew possible. And it's very important the point that you brought up about uh, no rushing. I don't believe in rushing for anything. We talked earlier about the interview and now rushing the idea of practicing anything that will make us feel better. But what I wonder is, like I have seen, I see people around me and I interview quite some people about grieving and have been through huge losses. In my mind, what I think is how, why are they still there in that place of deep sorrow? Not that joy doesn't come in because I ask questions and I know joy is there too. They coexist, sorrow and joy. But I notice that some people, they are in a state of, of sadness. They're holding on to the loss. For some people I know, it has been 20, 30 years. Yeah, I think that some losses we don't ever get over. And if someone tells you that, admits to you that truth, that it's been 30 years and I think about him every day and I cry most weeks, it's, it happened. And that's the truth. And most of the people who aren't saying that might be used to holding that part of themselves back because we as a nation, really, this is um, not the same everywhere in the world, are want people to be better quicker and to go back into a sense of normalcy. And in I've been doing grief work for probably a decade now. And I recently, well, a few years ago, got a bereavement certification with uh, Dr. Joanne Cacciatore, whose book is Bearing the Unbearable. And I've learned so much about what I thought I knew about grief and how grief really coexists in most people with joy and gratitude and that they find as the years go on some sort of way of carrying the loss with them and they become more proficient at carrying it, but it doesn't really ever go away. I never been through a major loss, so I can't understand what that state of being is like. I do wonder what the lesson is for that soul, as we call it. What do you think the lesson is for those who are here, have been here in your case too, and so many others and have been through major losses? I have examined that question up and down all sides of it. I lost my second daughter at birth and 
I still think of her all the time. I talk to her every day. I celebrate every landmark. And of all of the losses and suffering and illness in my life, the times of the greatest suffering have been my greatest teachers, my greatest soul expanders, my greatest uh, window into spirit. And I believe so truly, and it's, it's not something that a newly grieving person wants to hold on to, and it's not a good thing to say to someone at the beginning, but to me, the truth is that there is great meaning and importance in suffering, and that it's the most important thing that will ever happen in our lives. And the things we will discover about ourselves and others and the way we look at the world with a more compassionate heart, we're one with all suffering after something like that happens. You know immediately when you hear about a death, how that person is going, what they're going through. You are bonded with everybody in the land of loss. And it raises you up to this other level of compassion. And another great gift is that loss that's so sudden and so traumatic makes you realize loud and clear that you have control over relatively nothing in your life. If something can happen so fast and change your life so completely, then I am not going to count on my airplane ticket next year or my plans next weekend. I don't count on anything in the future, I am completely sucked into the present now because anything can happen in the future. And I know that. And I also know that the things that people think are important are really not compared to the things that some people are going through. So you uh, have less sense of wanting to hear small talk or <laughs> meanness or, yeah. you know, small mindedness. You think, you know what, buddy, that just is not important right now. And so your thoughts go to perhaps higher things. I love what you said about not having time or patience even for small talks. <laughs> yeah, that's um, something that I can relate very much with without have not lost anyone. So in your book, I love the July 26th, you talk about the chakras and the chakra of love, that I wish we had more time to go through them. I love something that you said here, everything is in divine order. So this is a powerful phrase too. So meaning exactly what you have been saying about loss. So there's a lesson behind everything. Everything's how it's supposed to be. Would you like to add anything, Mary, about this phrase you wrote? Everything is in divine order. Um, I love what you just said about it. I, I think that, that that is good for it. And I could just wrap it around to what you said earlier about trust. Your um, way of living in a, in a trusting, with a trusting heart, that is what it is to me, is trusting that this is happening the way it's supposed to for me. I also love the um, March 16th, the 14 steps to calm, and then you go through all of them. Beautiful book in every way, every single way, beautiful. Mm, 
Thank you. We're almost at the end. I have a few more questions for you, but before I ask them, would you like to add anything or read a passage in your book? We covered a lot of ground and I and I feel like if I were to leave you with anything, it's that spirituality doesn't have to be super hard or serious. Yeah. That it's all about doing small things with great love. It's all about your small acts of kindness and love. And they matter. They matter to all of us. Every kind thing you do matters to all of us. You matter. What you focus on is so important. And you are shining and radiant and more magnificent than you will ever know. Thank you for recognizing that which means you recognize that in you before you can recognize out there or even say those words. So that's beautiful. They live from that space. Thank you, Mary. How do you define success these days? What is to be successful? To be a kind person, to be content with your life as it is, to wake up grateful. What is another word for healing? I think about healing as being in alignment. So wholeness and authenticity, self-love, self-worth. I think those are the things that generate alignment in us and love. So I feel like healing takes on many forms but they originate in our quest for wholeness and alignment and, and an authentic um, journey to who we are, who you are. If you knew you would die soon, would you make any change in your life or do anything differently? No, no, but I have spent many decades studying about the afterlife and near-death experiences and sitting next to hospice patients. And I think about that all the time. And I think that there might be a little lesson in that. I mean, I don't recommend death and dying issues for just everyone. A lot of people are quite squeamish about it, but I would encourage people to get a little more friendly with it because if you ask that question, what you just asked, I think a lot of us would change our lives a lot because when you're dying, you don't want to look back and say, I wish I had done this. When it's too late to change this one amazing, magnificent, precious, glorious life. And so when we think about that question, what would I do differently? Then we change, then we become more loving. And then if there's a choice between listening to someone with all our heart and and you know, checking our phone, we make the choice to listen. If we have a choice between helping someone do something and doing something for ourselves, we help someone. We make different choices when we look through the eyes of the higher perspective, which is when I am a being of pure, radiant love, how would I look at what I'm doing? Okay. <laughs> yeah, I love the way you say that. <laughs> it makes it fun, actually. It is. It's like a game, though, because we can, <laughs> like you said, with freedom, choose again. Right. Yeah. It is such a beautiful experience. 
to be in a human body. It's amazing, even to think about it. <laughs> what are three things about life you know for sure as of now? I think we've probably touched on things I know for sure, which is that there is a magnificent, mind-blowing, radiant, shining source, God, love, consciousness that we will know better after we die. I also know that there is purpose in our suffering. And I know that love is our essence. Yeah. Thank you so much, Mary, for your presence, your messages, your mission, your wisdom. Thank you. Thank you so much. I do have one more question, but this is a technical one. Where can we find more information about you, your books, products, services, and future projects? Mm -hmm. I have two books, the Everyday Spirit Day Book and also a companion gratitude journal, as well as an app for iPhones, iPads, and Androids. And I have an Etsy store as well. All of those things are linked from my website, which is everydayspirit.net. Wonderful. Thank you so much again, and we'll talk soon. Thank you. Bye for now. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Mary Davis and her work, please visit everydayspirit.net. To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. Thank you again for listening and bye for now.